Old Testament reading is from Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, verse 17. We'll read the Catechism answers together, and that's on page 875, the back of the red hymnal. Proverbs 12, verse 17. through verse 22. Hear now God's holy word, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. New Testament verse for our consideration tonight. Ephesians 4. Just one verse. Verse 25. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Catechism, beginning on question 76. Questions 76 through 78. Let's read the answers together. Beloved, which is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. What is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Sometimes it can be uh, dubious to talk about political issues in a sermon intro, but it's, it's always worth paying attention to times when there, are, there is agreement, generally speaking, on the, the two sides of the American political aisle. We live in such a divided time that uh, 
You don't see that very often. And uh, we, we've lived through now a, a week plus where there has really been widespread and, and large agreement in regards to, to some of the, the things that have happened worldwide. Of course, just speaking about the situation as it's unfolded in Afghanistan. There's widespread agreement, both kind of politically and even in a lot of the media outlets, that the president failed us. He failed the American people with uh, errors in judgment and execution, no matter what you believe about the issue itself, whether or not America should be where it was. There was a massive failure, and our country is embarrassed because of it. People are suffering unnecessarily uh, because of these things. And reflecting on this this past week, you, you, you realize that living in our time, everyone expects there to be some level of spin to everything. We live in the, in the age of spin. So, so the question is always, how are they going to spin this? The people who are accountable for these mistakes, who have made these mistakes, how are they going to spin it and talk about it in, in a certain way? And people understand that, that the the, the politicians whom you would support, they're, they're going to spin things when they mess up a little bit. And the people that want to continue supporting this person will buy into the spin or defend the spin. And the people who are opposed from, from the outset will not buy into the spin and, and not appreciate it either. But there, there seems to be a point still, which is uh, encouraging, but probably evidence of the, the image of God and man. There, there, there are points, and we're living in one of those, where, where the, large, the lion's share of people aren't going to just put up with spin. And people want the truth, and they know when they're being fed uh, large and uh, significant lies by people in, in leadership. And people will turn against it. People want the truth. They want leaders who speak the truth. They want people in charge who are truthful. I remember seeing there was a picture this week of the current president and behind him was a a wonderful portrait of George Washington considered by many to be one of the one of the greatest presidents adored in his time. People really looked to him almost as as a king really and of course, there's that famous story that almost certainly has, has grown with legend, but George Washington and the cherry tree. And I, why did that story become widely told or, or widely spread? Because he was seen as a man of honesty. He was seen as a man of the truth. He took his Christian faith very seriously. Uh, he loved his country that he had served and... Uh, What people got from him was that he was a truthful man. He would not tell a lie. He he could not tell a lie. And that's why he says, oh, Father, I I cannot tell a lie. People want leaders who tell the truth, who don't lie, who don't make things up, who don't hedge, who don't spin. We want the truth because we were made to yearn for it. We live in an age where people suppress that, that inward desire for the truth. Well, truth doesn't matter. We assign to ourselves our own truth and, and, and meaning that we, we can glean from the truth that is our truth. We want the truth. God commands his people to be truthful, but he doesn't 
come up with that commandment out of thin air. God commands us to be truthful people because he is not only a truthful God, but he is the truth. And so if we begin with considering the truthfulness of God and the truthfulness of his ways and the truthfulness of his word, then it makes much more sense when we consider our own call to be truthful people. So let's uh, consider these things tonight. The first point is a truthful God. The second point is a true redemption. The third point is his truthful people. A, A truthful God, his true redemption, and his truthful people. God obviously shows himself in his word to be a God who is truth itself. He is truthful and he never changes. So uh, this is one of the, the, the ways in which the immutability of God, in other words, the doctrine that God does not change, he has never changed and he, he will never change, this is where it, it becomes extremely practical for us. That, well, if God is truthful and God never changes, that means he is always truthful. Did you ever have a friend, maybe growing up, that you thought you could trust or you did trust for a while and then all of a sudden... Something changed, something shifted. Your opinion about whether they were truthful uh, changed just like that. Well, God is not that way. and He says it very clearly in his word. God is not a man, Numbers 23, that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is truthful. He is not like his creatures, and he does not change or shift. He is always truthful. 1 Samuel 15 says something very similar. The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. This, of course, distinguishes the God of the Bible from the gods of pagan mythology. And the world in which Christianity was born, the Greco-Roman world, the, the, the pagan pantheon of gods on Mount Olympus. It was a, a constant drama unfolding uh, uh, that was basically superhuman type people who displayed very human-like characteristics and human-like deception. Uh, even Zeus, the king of the gods, was uh, famously always hiding things from his wife. Usually it was his affairs or those kinds of things. He was a very um, dishonest king of the gods. Famous stories that always uh, recount deception among the gods. Prometheus and Zeus had uh, interactions where there was deception kind of going both ways. And, and human beings in these myths would, would either be Uh, They would benefit or they would incur some kind of wrath or judgment because of these things. So Zeus, when Prometheus lies to Zeus, Zeus takes fire away from the human race. Then Prometheus tricks him again, gives it back. These kinds of things all all the time were happening in the the mythologies of Greco-Roman gods and in other pagan gods as well. That distinguishes God, the God of Scripture, from the gods that are created in the image of man. When a man tries to project what a God may be, it's going to be from his own experience. And 
The way in which we think is, is often along these lines. We have to fight because of the, the corruption of sin within us. We have to fight the urge to, to uh, not be truthful. Many temptations in our life where we find it easier to lie. We find it easier to, to hide the truth, to, to put a, a, a particular shade on the way that we say things. We're constantly doing these things or fighting the urge to do these things. God is, is different. But it doesn't stop there because it, it's not just that God is truth itself and is truthful, but he shares truth with us as his people. He, he reveals the truth to us. And so what we have in his word is his truth. His condescension to us to reveal to us the truth. Psalm 119 The sum of your word is truth. If we could summarize God's word, how would we summarize it? We would summarize it by saying, it is truth. Not even just true, but it is truth. Of course, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. It is fixed in the heavens, as we just uh, sang a few minutes ago. God reveals truth so as to lead us in the paths of of righteousness and truth as well. So Psalm 25, a a psalm that highlights this very well. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Well, what are the ways of the Lord? What are the the paths of the Lord? Paths of of righteousness and paths of truth. So Psalm 25 goes on to say, lead me in your truth and teach me. Make me to live as one Uh, living in your truth for you are the God of my salvation and for you I wait all the long good and upright is the Lord therefore he instructs sinners in the way he instructs sinners in truth and he teaches us the truth for we need it he's a truthful God who shares that truthfulness with his creatures and he gives us benefit Uh, from his eternal truthfulness and and honesty. So what is the result of this? So the result of this is that we can trust God. The result is that we have confidence in him and in his word and in his ways. Isaiah 45, Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Putting your trust in the Lord means that you will never be put to shame. Saw there were some uh, confessions, these online confessions that were going on this week of... uh, in, in light of all that's going on. Yes, I voted for the current president. Yes, I regret that vote now in the way that he has embarrassed our country. Trusting in the Lord will never put you to shame. He will never let you down. Why? Because all that he has done is good and right and true. All that he has promised, he will fulfill. I am he who comforts you, Isaiah 51 says. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Of the son of man who is made like grass. God is powerful and true. Hebrews 6 speaks, is speaking of the, the oath that God has made. So if we have a, a truthful God who is truth itself, 
and who shares that truth and, and who has condescended to us in a, a covenant of grace to, to save us, to give us spiritual life. Uh, and he has confirmed all of this with, with oath-making. Right? The, the, whole, uh, the, the author of Hebrews is saying what's so astounding about God's plan of salvation is that it is held together by God's oaths that he has made. So Hebrews 6, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely will I bless you and multiply you. And so Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Then he says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What do we have as an anchor for the soul? The truthfulness of God. The promise making and the promise keeping of God in which he has bound himself to redeem us, to save us, to cleanse us, to stay with us. All of these things God has given to us. And because he doesn't lie, because he doesn't change, because he doesn't drift from what he has said, because he doesn't say later on, well, I said that then, but now this is how we would understand that, because he never says, well, to the best of my recollection, and that's the way people who are trained to be able to, to hide the truth under oath, well, to the best of my recollection, that's, God doesn't do that. He always remembers, he always keeps his promise, he always fulfills what he has said to do. And because of that, we have comfort, we have confidence. He will fulfill his word, he will make good on all of his promises. So secondly, a true redemption. He's a, he is a truthful God and, and he has accomplished a true redemption. We've already touched on this a little bit. But it was a true redemption. And we had such a wonderful reminder of that this morning. Very thankful for, uh, for Reverend Bruce to, to be in our midst and to give us those wonderful, encouraging words of the salvation we have in Christ. But God didn't cut any corners. People who are tempted to, to, to not always be truthful. Right? Perhaps it, it's at work. You can cut a little corner here or there. It's not your best work, but... God didn't do that. And he didn't do it in the, the most important thing that has to do with you or me or anyone else, a redemption in Christ. He didn't cut any corners, and he didn't cut any corners when what was demanded in order for our forgiveness was that he would give his most treasured possession, his son, his beloved and only begotten son, to come and to live and to die for us, to suffer, to go all the way to the cross, to die a shameful death, to be kept under the power of death for a time, to bear shame and scoffing 
and sin to bear the wrath of God in order to reconcile us to God. And that was promised from all eternity. God promised that he would give his son. The the father and the son covenanted together. We call it the eternal covenant of redemption. Rooted in eternity past, before the world was made. The, the, The Trinity knew God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit covenanting together to accomplish our redemption. We see this, glimpses of it in Isaiah 53. uh, Words spoken hundreds of years before Christ comes. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Speaking of the suffering servant, of course. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. So you have uh, essentially this glimpse of the father promising to the son exaltation and a people that he will obtain because he remains faithful to what he has covenanted to do. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. Ephesians 1, a picture of this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What is this? It's the, the, the plan of the ages that God has made known to us according to the mystery of his will. It's a plan for the fullness of time. It's a plan from eternity. God planned to send Christ. And he did so even though that comes at great cost to give the Son The hope of eternal life, Titus 1, was promised before the ages began. And God, Titus 1 says, God never lies. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that the exact justice and rich grace of God are glorified in the justification of sinners. And that's the other part of it too, is that uh, not only did God not cut any corners when it comes to giving the Son, but as we look upon our own redemption, those promises that we heard this morning, all is well with God for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who trust in Him, their standing before God is secure, and that can never be taken away. And our confidence, our surety with all of that, it grows and and is given uh, more blessedness because we understand that It wasn't a shirking of justice that makes us stand before the Father. Justice has been served. Jesus actually did bear our sins. And the offering of his life is actually satisfactory to God. So that your sins are actually dealt with. As Colossians 2 says, the certificate of debt is nailed to the cross. And it's dealt with there. Theologians at various points in the history of the church have kind of tried to to, to mess with this a little bit because a a lot of the things about the work of Christ uh, great against the rational mind, the modern mind. God giving the son, is that like cosmic divine child abuse that he would subject his son to this kind of suffering? But it is the glory of the gospel that, that you actually are accounted righteous and in Christ the Father actually can look at you and see you as not only forgiven but he can Give you the righteousness of the Son. It's not a shirking of justice. He's not cheating. He's not cutting any corners. Justice has been served. And grace is also exalted. The gospel. It's a true redemption. The Lord Jesus, by his obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he once offered up to God through the eternal spirit, has fully satisfied the justice of his Father. 
It's a true redemption. So we look back upon this true redemption. And as we see that, we, we, we see the plan of eternity past. We see the execution in history. And because of those things, we are to look forward in the confidence of hope that God's promises and God's decree will come to be realized. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? The very best of God's blessings come to us in Jesus Christ and that is a flowering of his truthfulness because he could not, God could not cut corners. He had to do it really and truly. Justice had to be served. His grace is magnified in the gospel. And since he did not spare the Son, have confidence that he will give us all things. And and glory in his love. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So then... With just the few minutes that we have remaining, that we have a truthful God. And of course, I hope you see that the importance that God, the God of the Bible, our God, our covenant God, He is truthful. He speaks the truth. He shares the truth with us. And how that leads into the glory of our redemption. That is a true redemption. It's not, it's not fake. It's not just sort of. It's not almost. It's all the way. And it's true. And He calls us as His people to be truthful. Now our Our love of the truth needs to be rooted in those things that that we need to say, I I love God and because of my love for him, I want to be like him and he is is a truthful God, a God who speaks the truth. And he wants us to be lovers of the truth. It's not just simply an outward commitment saying, oh, well, I know I'm supposed to be truthful. God wants us to love truth. Psalm 51, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Psalm 15 is one of those wonderful psalms that magnifies the work of, of Christ, because really, He is the only one who can ascend that holy hill of the Lord. And yet in him, the Spirit furnishes us to love those very same things. Where does God want us to speak truth from? From the heart. To love and to embrace that which is right and true. So the the consideration then, as we lead into these, these final considerations, how unfitting is it to be a liar and a Christian? Those two things should never come together. It makes no sense for someone to be both a liar and a Christian. And what kind of stain? It's not just that that that's kind of a regrettable character trait to have. What kind of a stain does that bring upon the gospel? When the glory of the gospel is rooted in the beauty of truth. And rooted in the beauty that God does what is right. And he, he deals rightly. And he doesn't cut corners. So if someone is known as a liar and a Christian, what kind of a stain does that bring upon the gospel of grace? He wants us to love the truth. That's the first consideration. Second consideration is that our very existence as redeemed people, our presence in this world is 
a testament to what is ultimately true. We walk through this world saying that there is an all-powerful God of the universe who has created all things from nothing, who has seen us fall into sin and has yet nevertheless made a way for us to be redeemed to him through his son. And that son is coming again one day. And to him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that, that he is Lord. And that is why we're doing it now. That is why we give glory to Jesus Christ now. Because we're saying that is what is true. If you live according to the truth, you will worship Jesus Christ. And so as worshipers of Jesus Christ, we are testaments to the truth. We're we're like lighthouses to the truth, pointing to it. Our very presence in this world is a, a presence of truth. People can suppress it. People can ignore what they they claim they don't see or sense. But we walk through this world saying, this is what's true. The God of Scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his word, what he has said will yet come. And because of that, we live a certain way. 1 John chapter 2, now little children abide in him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abide in him. Abide in him who is true. Jesus says, abide in me. And later on in in the Gospel of John, he's he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, sanctify them in uh, the truth. Your word is truth. Have them grow in, in spiritual maturity according to their knowledge of the truth. So when we think about that, our our very existence is a testament to the truth. It it, it adds weight and meaning and significance to all that we do in our lives. Because we see that that our presence in this world is to be pointers to Christ and pointers to what is true. That is an outward consideration uh, third consideration is an inward or in, in-house consideration, we'll call it. And, and this is the, the, New, the New Testament verse that we read beginning tonight. Since God has dealt so lovingly with us in truth. Since your redemption, your salvation is dependent upon a truthful God then how carefully are we to guard the truth with one another? For those who who have life together in Christ, for those who look together to this God for all that we need, to those who uh, are made to glory in the joy of the salvation that we have, uh, just like we heard this morning, the kind of joy that, that we are to have when we truly grasp and see all that God has done for us in Christ, how, that, how carefully then are we to guard the truth with one another? The, the words, literally the words that we speak to one another are to be words of the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. When we see our binding together as coming to be a reality in the truthfulness of God, how much of a, How much of a problem is it when we allow 
untruthfulness or lies or the temptation to shade just a little bit away from the truth as we deal with each other, uh, how problematic does that become? Very. There are many things that we can talk about with the ninth commandment. Uh, You can talk about all manner of uh, what are the different kinds of lies and and, and why they are so wrong and if there ever are lies of necessity. And those those are good discussions to have in your consideration of the ninth commandment. But tonight, what I wanted us to focus on is that God is truth and truthful. and He's accomplished a true redemption. He's called us to be truthful people. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with, with, with its practices. And of course, one of the, the more difficult ways that this uh, comes to bear in our lives is that there are times when we need to speak difficult truths to one another. There are times when we need to say that which is not easy to say. What does it mean to love one another? It, it, it means that we want for someone what God wants from them. We want other people to be walking in fellowship and communion and obedience to God as they trust in Jesus Christ. And when we see that someone is off the path, when we, when we see that someone has, has left the life that they ought to be living, if we love them, we ought to speak the truth to them. And we ought to, to furnish them with with the conviction of truth. Ephesians 4, earlier in Ephesians 4, alludes to this very thing, that we, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So when someone is not growing up into Christ, when someone is living a life that is very clearly not more and more being conformed to the image of Christ, our responsibility as the people of God, and in, in the various ways that this is appropriate, you follow the pattern of Matthew 18, approach a brother or sister privately first, and then with another, and then you bring it to the attention of the church. But we are to speak the truth in love and furnish them with truths that may be hard to hear. Why? Because we are committed to the truth. And because we know that God's work in all of us is that we would grow up more and more to be conformed to the image of Christ. These are the things that God calls us to be. As truthful people, to love the truth from the heart. To understand that your very presence in this world is is a lighthouse to the truth, a testament to the truth. That you, in your very person, uh, give witness to these things. God is real. Christ is real. Christ is coming again. And then finally, since God has dealt with us so lovingly in the truth, we must carefully guard the truth with one another and we must have the courage to speak the truth even when it is difficult to do so in the face of someone who needs to hear that truth. We give thanks that our God himself is the truth. He shares it with us and he makes a stand in Christ because of his commitment to being a truthful God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would empower us to, to live for you and for the glory of Christ in this world. To, to in, our, in our being, in our person, our presence, that we give, give testimony uh, to what is true. And that you would allow us to do that in, in the various ways in which you do so. Uh, 
furnish us for our callings and uh, and our work this week. And may we always uh, live trusting in Jesus and trusting in the perfection of his work, even amidst our own imperfections. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We will sing uh, words from Psalm 15 as we close.